everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reefum. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer, and with me today on the show, I'm very excited about this, we have Jack Kent, who is the CEO of Brightwell Aquatics. Hey, Jack, what's up? Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here, Keith. Uh, appreciate you having me on. So Jack is an industry veteran who actually founded Kent Marine back in 1989, which was one of the most recognized and trusted brands in the aquarium trade. Brightwell was started in 2006. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with Brightwell, the company has a complete line of salt, additives, chemicals, vitamins, nutritional supplements, and filtration media for saltwater and freshwater aquarium. Jack also owns Continuum Aquatics. So, uh, Jack, listen, we were just talking before the show. It's pretty hot where you're at right now down south, huh? It's very hot, too hot. I'm ready for fall. Yeah, already ready to jump forward to the to the fall time. Well, listen, folks, I want to uh, thank you for joining joining the um, the live stream today. I see a whole bunch of familiar faces. Braveheart Reefer five two five. Thank you, Matt Greer, Reef Keeper. Um, Greg Carroll is in the house. Hey, Greg and uh, Andy Jefferson. Got a whole bunch of uh, comments already scrolling in. So, folks, I I definitely want to make this an interactive conversation and we've got a great opportunity here with with jack to ask a lot of questions um about brightwell about reef keeping you know anything you want to talk about i've got uh, as per usual a whole uh, slew of questions that uh i have in in my back pocket here but uh certainly want to hear from you folks in terms of what um you know is on your mind oh fernando hi from new zealand all right tuning in from new zealand there so, so Jack, I always like to start off each of my shows by talking, um, you know, asking my guests how they got started in the hobby or the uh, the business. So, what's what's your story, Jack? You've been uh, you've been in for a long time, but how did you kind of get started in all this stuff? Well, I've had aquariums since I was probably seven years old. Um, had my share of disasters. My first disaster was my sister had a birthday party. She was about five or six, and they had their birthday party before I got home from school and I came home and my 10 gallon tank of guppies had peppermint candy floating <laughs> in it and uh, it killed them all. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> so man. I wasn't happy, but you know, it's the disasters that teach us and hopefully we learn from them so that we don't put our fish through the same thing again next time. So um, as far as getting started in the business is concerned, I'd been an aquarium hobbyist for a number of years and my daughter, actually, we went into a pet store. We wanted to do something together. And, of course, when you have a little girl, um, you don't like to play with dolls, you know, so you need to find some common mm. common ground. You know? And so we thought we'd get an aquarium together. And um, she liked a saltwater fish. And, of course, I had not done anything with saltwater at that point. And so um, bought an aquarium, set it up, learned how to do saltwater. And... Fortunately, I was living in Mobile at the time, and I had an old German guy by the name of Otto Karens, who was probably one of the first hobbyists in America. I mean, they were back during the time when you made your own undergravel filters with a plastic screen from your house, you know. And um, he taught me a lot of things at that point. And, um, you know, just grew in the hobby, enjoyed it uh, for a long period of time, and then um, started making chemicals for my own aquarium at some point. I am an engineer by training, a registered professional engineer, and have uh, spent a lot of time, you know, building factories and so forth. Um, so, um, you know, it allowed me to understand what I was doing and be able to make some products. And um, actually, had a flood in my house, hmm. 
and my wife said, you got to get rid of these chemicals. And so I put an ad in the back of Fama magazine. That's how I started Kent Marine, you know. So that was in 1989. So it's a number of years ago. So I've been doing this for quite some time. Wow. So you mentioned uh, Fama magazine. That was, um, I used to always look forward to that coming out, you know, back in the day when they were um, still uh, doing that magazine. And uh, I just read that thing from cover to cover. I also was a um, big, big, uh, you know, book reader. It's kind of changed a little bit, you know, in terms of how we uh, get our information today versus uh, many, many years ago. Absolutely. Of course, nowadays we have people that have a computer and had an aquarium for three months and are experts. Yeah, I know. <laughs> giving it's, it's true. So. The, uh, the keyboard warriors, I guess what they call them. So it's what I want right. to thank uh, Manny Palma, man. Thanks, Manny, for the, uh, for the super chat. Love you too, man. Um, so... Jack, let's, um, man, we got, we got a lot to talk about here. I got, I got a lot of questions for you. And I think one, one thing that has really caught my attention is, um, you know, the dosing bacteria, you know, and, and I never had done that sort of thing before. you know, I've been keeping reef tanks for a long, long time as well. And I had never been a, um, you know, one to dose bacteria, but you know, so let's, let's talk about a couple of the ones that you guys have, the, uh, microbacter seven, and the uh, Microbacter Clean, which I actually have been using the Clean for the last um, few weeks. So what's, just for those of the folks out there that don't know, what's the difference between MB7 and Clean? Okay, so they're quite different products. MB7 is a very old product. Um, we probably came out with that product probably in 2007, uh, sometime in that time frame. Um, it's a very tried and true product. Um, it's... Um, it's a member of the older genre of bacteria. The cool thing about Microbacter 7 is it's a fully tested product. What launched that product to be actually the uh, place in the industry, which it's probably the top selling marine bacteria in America and, you know, very heavily sold worldwide. <laughs> and um, there was a, a veterinarian pathologist who did a video on Microbacter 7 sometime before 2010 and um, basically gave it high ratings and it was a very um, um it was a good video because he paid for the product he paid for the setup he paid for the testing so there was nothing that we donated to him so it was not like we hired someone to do this he did it on his own just because he was curious and he gave it a glowing report and really up to that point there were no bacteria that i'm familiar with that um, really had that level of, of um, uh, authoritative person researching the product and determining that it was a, an appropriate product. There were a lot of, let's say, snake oil bacterias at that point. And so uh, Microbacter 7 you know, just was established as a really good product um, from early on. And, um, you know, it still had its limitations. We have newer bacteria now. Microbacter Clean is one of them. And then we also have Microbacter Start XLM now, which is a revolutionary product of its own. So um, the, the real difference between Microbacter 7 and Microbacter Clean, Microbacter 7's forte is cleaning sludge out of gravel and so forth in, in, uh, in aquariums and uh, taking the nutrient level down. When I say nutrients, I'm primarily talking about organic nutrients in this case, you know, fish waste, detritus, mum, uh, that sort of thing. Um, 
Microbacter 7, I mean, Microbacter Clean came along later, I'm going to say probably in 2013, 2014, in that time frame. And it's a totally different product. So Microbacter 7 is largely a cysted product. The, most of the bacteria in there form cysts and are dormant. Sometimes you'll hear the term live bacteria, you know, versus cysted bacteria. And um, uh, cysted bacteria are very, very tough bacteria. Okay, so they can those are the ones they found in the pyramids that were 2000 years old and still viable. Okay. So they form a cyst uh, kind of like a maggot does and can live through all kinds of environments, including being totally dried out. So anytime that you buy dry bacteria, and I noticed there are a number of them on the market now, they are all cysted bacteria. They can't be anything else. Live bacteria can, there's no dry stage. Okay. Now that's not to say you can't freeze dry them to a certain extent, but the life is very short and, you know, it's not the same as other dried products would be. So Microbacter Clean is a product that we came out really to address a lot of the uh, algae overgrowth issues that people have uh, where you have all sorts of things growing in your tank that you really don't want to grow, you know, and it's particularly good at green algae such as hair algae, bryopsis, even Valonia. I mean, it's almost miraculous on Valonia because if you break a piece of Valonia, the bubble algae, then you get thousands of them all over your tank, where with Microbacter Clean, they just dissolve. Yeah, you know, I um, I didn't realize that, but um, so MB7 is really what you would use to tackle, like say, brown and red algaes, whereas the clean would be more for the, uh, for the green algae, the, the problematic algae. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, and of course, bacteria is so much more than algae. I mean, really, bacteria only address nutrients. And so they're not necessarily eating the algae. They're just taking all the nutrients up and, they out, and you know, they're out-competing it. You know, which you can out-compete algae other ways, too. And then we have also have a chemical product called Razor that you can address it with, you know, from a chemical standpoint. But um, bacteria do so much more in your tank. You know, we talked a little bit before the show about the fact that people sometimes don't realize that corals in the wild eat what's called bacterioplankton. And those are just plankton that are basically bacteria floating in the ocean. And you can do the same thing in your marine aquarium. And it can be a really good source of live food, you know, which live food's kind of hard to come by. You know, you, you can raise different things like rotifers and copepods and, you know, any number of, of different uh, little crustaceans and so forth. But, but they're difficult to raise. And bacteria is something you can really get a hold of easily and dose into your system for a food. And it works quite well. All right. So a couple of things, and then I want to uh, ask you some more questions about the uh, bacteria. But uh, first, thanks to Math Matthew uh, Gilger for the super chat. Really appreciate it. He says, uh, great info. Love these streams. Have a beer on me. Well, I guess we can both have a, a beer on Matthew, maybe. <laughs> but um, And also, folks, want to remind you to smash that like button, because if you do that, then more people are going to find the stream. More people will get educated. So please go ahead and hit that like button. And uh, we'll get more people coming into the, uh, to the live stream. So, uh, and I also want to remind everybody to ask questions. This is a great opportunity to uh, pepper Jack with some questions here. And um, I'm just uh, trying to look at the, uh, the, the chat right here. Um, all right, let's ask this one question, uh, get this one answered from Mike Johnson. Is there any Brightwell products that would help with uh, cryosophite? I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right. C H R Y S O P H Y T E S. 
You know, I, I really don't know. I, mean, I would have to research that to be able to give okay. him a good answer. Okay. So, um, you know, if, if he would contact us either with our web form or our phone numbers on our website, you know, we'll be happy to help him with that. Chryso fights, I guess is how you pronounce that. Um, all right, a couple more questions from the uh, from the viewers. Uh, one is, what 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 are your thoughts, Jack, on the non-sulfur purple bacteria? Any uh, any thoughts yeah, comments on that? Is this is a problem that he's having? I guess with the purple bacteria growing on his tank. I think he's I'm talking. Not, I think he's talking about a um, yeah um, um, a product out there. Okay, well, we don't have a product for that. Um, you know, so when you're using bacteria, you need to understand that, you know, bacteria or animals, they're going to do what they do. And so um, basically it's a nutrient game that you're playing and it depends on how much you're feeding. There's so many things that enter into this, how much you're skimming. And so, um, um, you know, bacteria are not sold for algae control necessarily just like we sell products that absorb phosphates, you know, or remove phosphates from the water one way or another, they're really sold to remove phosphates. It's just, if your phosphates are causing your algae growth then the algae is going to recede, you know, because it can't continue to uh, grow. Yep. All right. Let me, um, I've got, I got a bunch of questions for you again about the, um, about the clean versus the MB7. So I had a, uh, a reef keeping buddy, who uh, said he had a great great experience using clean, and I think some some other folks did as well, and and they actually said that it got rid of cyano. I don't know if there was a direct causation in terms of using clean and 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 seeing the the cyano eliminated, but um, so could clean theoretically also combat cyano, or do you think the NB7 is a better product to try to uh, get rid of? Um, you know, the cyano, because I, I have some small amounts of it in, in the back of my 187 gallons established system. And, you know, I know why it's there because there, you know, the tank is chock full of corals. Circulation is, is kind of getting uh, cut off by the corals. So I have to constantly do a lot of pruning and, uh, you know, but I think that's why the cyano was there. It's just because of the detritus is collecting in those certain spots. So I, I blow it with a, uh, with a power head every, every other day. But, um, what, what are your um, what are your thoughts in terms of clean and cyano? Is that something that it could help with, or is that just coincidence? Yeah, it can. I mean, both Microbacter Seven and Clean do have a, a a crossover area where they do a lot of the same things, and then they diverge from that point. So they're kind of like brothers, but they don't uh, do exactly the same thing. And so, um, you know, what we see is that most people have better results with clean, with, um, with green algae and better results with Microbacter 7 with dinoflagellates and, and cyano. But that's not to say the clean won't help cyano, it will. And even razor the same way. So razor does really, really well at green algae, but if you're using it uh, with cyano, many times you'll see a reduction in cyano or the cyano may even die out. So you said razor is a chemical? It is. Okay. So... Are there any things that you should be, you know, aware of in terms of potential side effects with using that? I know I've used um, ChemiClean, and I don't know how it differs from ChemiClean, you know, but um, I've used ChemiClean a couple of times in the past, and it's always knocked out the cyano, but there's always been some sort of unbalance that it creates with my uh, with my tanks when I've used it. 
I know a lot of folks say that, um, you know, dinoflagellates, that's kind of like something that would, um, you know, spring up after using ChemiClean. Are there anything, anything that people should be aware of in terms of using Razor in terms of potential side effects with that? Yeah, so Razor is much more is much more friendly to use than something like ChemiClean. ChemiClean is erythromycin phosphate, which is an antibiotic. And so you get rebound effects. You have problems just like you do as a person when you take antibiotics. You know, people take antibiotics, they get yeast infections. Well, your reef, same kind of thing. So basically you're murdering the cyano, okay? Um, razor doesn't kill anything. Razor is just a very, very slick polymer that tends to defeat some of the mechanisms that these algae use to survive. You know, so razor will cause, for instance, the whole fast from hair algae to just turn loose and it'll float up to the surface. And if you have a lot of hair algae, you'll just have mats of hair algae floating on the surface. You can just stick a fish net under them and, right. and take them out. Uh, razor also helps a lot with cleaning your tank walls because it's so slick that the uh, diatoms that build up on the tank walls tend to fall off and go into the water. And then if you've got a good filter sock, you take them out. So in that case, you know, razor's not killing anything. It's not an algicide. It's not anywhere close to an algicide. Okay. So we don't sell any algicides at all. Uh, and bacteria is not close to an algicide either. It's just that right. bacteria is consuming a nutrient that that plant has to have. And it's really not that much different than a phosphate absorber. You know, this it's taking phosphate out of the water. You're just removing the things that that plant has to eat. And so it can't survive or it can't thrive for sure. And so you'll, you'll achieve some level of um, uh, demise for that because you're, you're taking away what it does. And of course, diatoms, um, you know, you're not going to solve the diatoms by, by using razor. But what you'll see is, let's say you're cleaning your tank wall three times a week. You might go to twice or once a week. You know, because it's just not being able to stick to the tank wall, um, you know, it's released into the water and then you need to be using a good filter floss or whatever. We, we recommend that with any of our products. If you're trying to deal with algae, you need to get it out of the system, you know, and, and skimming, of course, is one of the ways that bacteria work. You know, if you use uh, uh, Microbacter Clean and you don't run a skimmer, you're not going to have very good success. Because a lot of the nutrients you're taking out are nitrates and phosphates themselves, which are now in the bodies of the bacteria. When they die, they release into the water. Most of these bacteria, I mean, almost all the important bacteria from marine aquarium are surface-fixing organisms. So they attach to a surface almost as soon as they can when they get in the water. That's why you need to dose bacteria if you're going to use them for a food because they're going to attach to a surface and they're not going to stay floating. So the corals can only get them, the other filter feeders, you know, as they're floating around. So it's the use of the skimmer that takes those bacteria bodies out in the skimmate. And so if you don't have a skimmer, then uh, you're not getting them out. So when they die, they just dissolve in the water and you know, the phosphates or whatever go right back into right. solution and you really haven't done much. Right. Do, um, can you use razor on a, a continual basis, almost like as a maintenance um, tool, or is that more so if you're just running into issues and you need to solve a problem? Now, we have a lot of people that are maintaining aquariums and restaurants and places like that, and they use razor on a continual basis. Now, most of them are not running reefs. Most of them are running fish-only tanks with some sort of decorations in there. Uh, but, but they seem to like it on that basis and use it. Um, we've not seen, you know, many problems with razor. You can overdose razor, but, you know, um, 
this is a hobby. And so hobbies require people to use their brains. And so if people aren't watching what's going on, like I tell people all the time, you know, if you're not watching your corals, I mean, how do you tell the difference between a sick coral and a healthy one? Obviously, when it starts dissolving, it's yeah. sick. Okay. <laughs> but before that, it closes up and they won't open, right? And so if you're using something like Razor or even anything, really, almost anything you put in your aquarium, if your corals close up tight and they refuse to open, they're going to be dead in a few days. So you need to back off. I mean, it's just common sense. And so we write that stuff on labels, but sometimes people don't pay attention. So Razor is prop. I mean, Razor, you can literally drink Razor. I don't recommend that, by the way. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, Razor is a non-toxic material, and um, it's safe for human consumption, you know, in smaller quantities. I mean, straight out of the bottle would probably be too much. But, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it certainly has no level of toxicity. But it will cause the corals, if, let's say if you put too much, the um, the coral parts can start sticking together. You know, it it has a flocculating capability to it as well. It's a very unusual material, and we ran onto this at Kent probably in about two thousand two or three, and came out with a product at that time. You know, uh, and um, of course I sold the company not long after that. And so uh, some some comments in the chat here. Rogue Aquarium says hi, Jack. I, I'm, I'm assuming you know who Rogue Aquariums is. Uh, comment there is Razor works very well. I used it when I had green hair algae on my 40 gallon tank and it eradicated it. I see um, Greg Carroll. I thought Razor was an algae um, code, not a polymer. Interesting. And then I see Reef Keeper says, I learned recently from Jake Adams that Razor also will take out bubble algae. I tried it on my 525XL, and sure enough, no more bubble algae. So great I stuff. Think we've got some fans of Razor uh, out there. Um, well, we can't make claims. We don't make any claims about algae on Razor, you know. So we t we say that it basically causes unwanted substances to turn loose, and it will do that too. You know, if the rock's dirty, it, it it'll cause it to lift off because it just makes the rock very slick. You know, um, we have to be careful because of laws in America that we don't make claims about these things. I think it's okay for us to talk about using them and how they work, just like phosphate absorbers and that, you know, we can get reduction of algae from a phosphate absorber, but, but the product's not sold for algae. So I think, uh, you could, you could find out from Reefkeeper how it tastes. He says, uh, he's drinking it some razor right now. So, um, <laughs> not, wouldn't be my beverage of choice, but, uh, go Tell for him to it. take a little Pepto-Bismol with it, you know, if he need, if he starts getting a stomach ache. So, you know, a lot, you, you mentioned, uh, dinoflagellates and MB7, you know, I, I, I see a lot of folks, you know, dose MB7, you know, when they uh, come upon uh, dinoflagellates and that's just, you know, building up their, their bacteria population to help fight the, uh, the dinos. But I also know that a lot of folks like to use MB7 on a consistent, regular basis. Do you, would you recommend, you know, I, so I understand that it's a more stout bacteria than clean. Um, I guess it's got more giddy up. Would, would you recommend carbon dosing? Do you have to carbon dose if you're using MB7? Well, you know, you don't ever have to carbon dose. There's a lot of carbon in almost any aquarium. But the, but the issue is if you carbon dose, you will rev up the bacterial growth. In other words, they'll start multiplying like bunny rabbits. So if that's something that you want, then carbon dosing is a good way to achieve that. Now, we have two products for carbon dosing. We have a product called Reef Biofuel, which is a liquid. That's my favorite. And then we have a pelleted product called Catalyst, which um, is our pelleted product. We use pellets that come from Germany. 
Um, a lot of people use pellets from third world countries. I won't mention which ones. Um, countries that viruses come from sometimes. And um, the, you know, carbon dosing can be performed by many ways. We used to use alcohol back in the old days. You'd want to use something like vodka. Um, certainly you should never put methanol in your tank. Uh, there's one company actually sells methanol for use in aquariums, which I can't believe because it's poison. It has no hmm. food uses whatsoever. Um, you could even dose glucose to your aquarium. Um, what what that does is it kind of puts the it's kind of like a, an alcohol burner on a race car. You know, it 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 really gives some juice to the bacteria in the system. So if you're having you know, things growing that you don't want to grow and you want to rev up the bacteria, carbon dosing is a good idea. And, um, you know, the biggest reason that we came out with products for that is if you dose glucose, if you dose vodka, you're likely to get problems with overgrowth of some other things that you don't want, you know. And so um, our products are designed to not cause the other issues that you might get, like extra growth of cyano or something like that, you know, due to the the extra nutrients in solution. So TFP is asking a question about running UV while treating with razor, and, I, and I'm going to have the same question about um, clean and MB7, but um, when you're treating a tank with razor, if you have a UV going on, a protein skimmer, should you turn those off for a little while? It probably doesn't matter with razor, you know, because it's a polymer, it, 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 you know, UV would kill bacteria, you know, so if you're, you know, if you're dosing bacteria, we tell you to turn the UV off for a few hours because the bacteria are going to pretty quickly uh, affix themselves to a pipe or a tank wall or a rock or something. And so then they're no longer flowing through the UV filter. Right. So, the, you know, and you should turn your skimmer off too when you first dose bacteria. But with razor, razor, I would turn my skimmer off, but I wouldn't turn my UV off. Now, razor will skim out it because it foams. And, um, you know, when you're using razor, if you're not using a skimmer, you need to dial back the amount you're using. So some more questions for you about clean and, um, MB seven. I, I mentioned before about, um, blowing detritus, you know, off of the rocks and, and even, uh, maybe stirring up the salmon a little bit. Is, is that a good idea when you're using these, uh, products is to do that on a regular basis to try to stir up detritus in the tank? I mean, it's, it's probably a good idea no matter what you're doing, but, Will it, um, will it matter in terms of using clean and MB7? Probably not. It would matter a lot more with razor. You know, it would, be, it would not be a bad product process with razor because you're going to get more, more of the product right on the problem. You know, so uh, with razor, I would do that. Um, I mean, we don't recommend it on the bottle, but it's not a bad practice. It's a good practice. Um, and with the bacteria, it may provide some little bit of a boost, but... Really what you're doing with the bacteria, the bacteria is not eating the nuisance anyway. It's, it's eating the food. And so it probably doesn't matter as much. Now, that's my opinion. You know, of course, it's a hobby. You can do lots of different things. And some people swear by certain methods and others by others. Right. What about using clean and MB7 together? Can you or is that counterproductive? Okay. So the, the age of the aquarium is crucial. So on a brand new aquarium, I would not. On an aquarium that's over six months old, it would be fine. I would not add them simultaneously. I mean, I would not add them in the same hour. I would add them apart from each other 12 hours or something just to give it some room because they're going to go and attach to tank walls. And both of those species of bacteria or both of those 
products um, which have multiple species in them, all those species are probably already living in the system. You know, so um, they're beginning to talk about aquariums microbiome now, just like your gut microbiome. And there's a company out there that's even doing some testing on the microbiome and so forth. I think their tests aren't where they need to be because they can't tell you species of bacteria. They can only tell you big groups of bacteria, which don't really tell you a lot. Um, one of the reasons that I like to dose bacteria is it keeps all of those strains going in the system. So depending on what you're putting in the aquarium, let's say you're adding some ChemiClean, which is an antibiotic, it's going to kill some strains more than others. So you end up with this lopsided system where, and this is one of the reasons that you have problems with products like that later on, is you end up with way more of one kind of bacteria and a whole lot less of right. another. You know, kind of thing that happens in your gut when you take uh, antibiotics. You know, you need to take a probiotic and get your gut straightened out, whether that's yogurt or kefir or whether you're taking something the doctor prescribed or whatever. Um, you know, it's a good thing to get that plethora back in there of different strains of bacteria so that the tank, um, whatever nutrients come in, you've got something that, that's, that's interacting with that and, and keeping it under control. A couple other quick questions for you uh, about the bacteria products. What about dosing nitrates and phosphates? Is, um, so with, with MB7, that's an ag more aggressive bacteria, and you're going to be potentially carbon dosing to, to help move that stuff along. Would uh, it not make sense to be dosing nitrates and phosphates with that product? Well, I mean, I dose nitrates and phosphates based on the nitrate and phosphate level in the tank and whether I'm, not ab whether I'm able or not to hold that okay. level. So the, the old philosophy back years ago when I owned Kent was zero nitrates, zero phosphates, because right. we all had algae problems in those days, and we, we didn't know how to do, deal with it. So we've learned a lot since then. And um, we recommend at Brightwell 0.02 to 0.04 parts per million of phosphate in an average reef and three to five parts per million of nitrates. Now, people run different levels. And some of the professionals out there run very high levels of phosphate and they get away with it. But I don't recommend that for the average hobbyist because they typically end up with an algae farm if they do that. Um, but, you know, I would dose them if you need them. By the way, I think Brightwell was the first company to introduce those. They've been on the market for over 10 years. Now people are waking up finally, you know, so. Um, yeah, I'm using the Neofoss. It's a great product for sure. Um, all right, yeah. one more quick question, and then we're going to move on to uh, some other products here. But um, my last right. question, Cato, if um, if you use Cato, is that something you should stop using, you know, especially with clean, since clean is um, going to help get rid of uh, green algaes? You know, Cato is a tougher algae than some of the other algaes, and we see people that are able to keep it while they're using clean. Uh, we also see people where it starts to recede. Um now, if you've got something like Calerpa, you, you don't want to use clean with it. You know, there are, there are macroalgae that clean doesn't do well with. But uh, we actually see most people being able to do Cato just fine, uh, particularly if they use something like Cato Grow, which we came out with because people were sucking all the iron and trace minerals out of their tank with their Cato, and then their corals look like crap. Right. You know, and they're wondering, you know, why? Well, your, your algae that you're throwing away, you're throwing all these minerals away at the same time. And so they're not available for your corals. Corals have symbiotic algae in their tissues. It's a good portion of how they color up. And so, you know, your corals are looking, you know, washed out because you're, you're sucking all the minerals out. You know, and then maybe they're using a low-grade assault too, you know, which we see quite a bit. I mean, everybody and his brother's got assault nowadays. Right. 
And, um, you know, it's not like coffee in the store. You know, there are differences between salt. Yes. Um, so I'm like about on week nine using clean. And, um, you know, my Cato seems to be okay. Um, okay. But I also know from, from reading the product description that it does take a lot longer with clean, right, to see results with that product because the yeah. bacteria are not as um, aggressive as, as, let's say, MB7 or, or I guess, um, you know, the Razor product. But um, right, I mean, a lot of well, people don't hang in there a lot with that product, right? Yeah, we, we've had a lot of calls. I mean, I get calls, typically it'll go like, yeah, I've been using this clean. There's nothing but water in the bottle. Um, I've been using it for seven weeks now and no results. And I say, you know, just hang in three or four more weeks with me. If not, I'll buy your bottle of, of clean from you. And the guy calls back glowing, you know, yeah. Like one day I walked in there and bazingo, you know, just magic. But, you know, the combination of clean and razor are very good together, too. Um, you just don't want to add the bacteria and then add razor right away because razor can flocculate the bacteria. Then if you've got a good filter sock, you just suck them out so you've done nothing. Gotcha. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit, uh, Jack, and talk about um, export, export media. And Can I say one yeah, thing yeah. before we get to yeah. that? And that is one of the secret sauces, I think, that Brightwell brings to the bacteria party that no one else has is we do two things that other people don't do. One is we know how to properly preserve these live bacteria. Like we have shelf lives like two years, over two years on most of our bacteria. Even Microbacter Start XLM is over six months. Nobody has that. Everybody else is 30 days. You have to refrigerate it, all that sort of stuff. So that's something we've done that no one's done. The other thing is that um, our bacteria are made from numbered strains. So whereas our competitors say ours are aquarium bacteria, we get them out of the gravel, then we grow them. Well, they don't have any control over which bacteria grow and what comes out of the gravel. So you get this hodgepodge of stuff. No, we're using numbered strains and we're adding certain amounts of each one. So every bottle of Microbacter Clean, every bottle of Microbacter 7 is just like the bottle before it and the bottle last month and the bottle last year you know, as much as possible. Now, obviously when you're growing things, certain things can get off a little bit or whatever, but I think we have the best consistency in the industry. And I think that's one reason why results. Uh, Go ahead and make a plug, sorry. Yeah, yeah, TJ Rogers, sorry off topic, but Jack, I noticed your uh, ball cap, go Tigers. <laughs> yes, absolutely, well, G-E-A-U-X. Yeah, <laughs> um, so export media. Let's uh, yeah. let's talk about that. And, uh, you know, so these are like bio block, uh, blocks, cubes, uh, bricks, what have you. And they're for uh, biological filtration. So can you talk about how, um, you know, why somebody would want to use the, um, you know, uh, these? I mean, I'm assuming these are mostly for dry rock only tanks to, to help kind of get the, um, you know, the bacteria bed really going there and seeded. You know, um, I think I think that's a misconception, Keith, that people have. So. My viewpoint is having, you know, had an aquarium back in the 80s when George Schmidt wrote his article about trickle filters in Fama magazine that revolutionized the industry. And I mean, there are really named individuals um, that uh, it changed their whole life in the hobby. You know, back in the old days, we had an under, under gravel filter. You could keep three fish in a 55 gallon tank, three little ones. Mm. You know? And when they came out with a trickle filter, all of a sudden you could keep 20 fish in there. And so it revolutionized the hobby. And, and um, 
Yep, you're breaking up there a little bit, Jack. Yep. Yeah, can you hear me, Jack? Am I still yeah, with you? we lost you for about 10 seconds. Yeah, I can hear you now. Can yeah. you hear me? Yeah. Okay, sorry. No. So, any rate, they're trying to convert over to 5G everywhere. They can't make 4G work, <laughs> so we'll see what they do with 5G. So, um, what I was saying was that, uh, you know, in the 80s, George Smith came out with the trickle filter, which revolutionized the hobby for many Simpson and, um, uh, you know, different hobbyists that are really advanced. And, um, you know, got them thinking on a totally different wavelength about filtration. So a marine aquarium is all about biological filtration. Now, there's chemical filtration with carbon. There are all kinds of other methods. But biological filtration is crucial to keep the ammonia down, the nitrites down, because you start killing animals quick when you have those. Yep. So when they went over to live rock, we were using live rock from the ocean. And the problem we have nowadays is there's hardly any live rock from the ocean available unless you can get it on Craigslist. Few people have a little bits of it, but it's very expensive and it's hard to, to outfit your tank. So we've had people introduce things called artificial live rock. Well, that has all kinds of problems. Okay. So it's basically most of them and I'm, you know, uh, describing this in very small way, I guess when I say this, but most of them are basically concrete with, um, very little porosity. They're painted with swim and pool paint, which has chemicals in it. God only knows how long that will persist in your system. And um, they don't house much bacteria. So we see a lot of hobbyists living on the edge. So they've got a 300-gallon tank, and it's filled with live rock, and they think they're doing good. And then the first time they use something like the ChemiClean, which has an antibiotic in it and wax their bacteria, they wipe out the whole tank. Yeah. Okay, and they don't know why. And the reason is they're not keeping a bacteria bed that they need to keep in this tank. You know, so there are ways to do it, and export is one of those ways. Um, but I encourage people to, where they can, to get real rock from the ocean because it's very porous. It's, you know, you can weigh these rocks and tell. Like if you pick up a piece of export, it feels like styrofoam in weight, even though it's ceramic, because it's over 80% air. But uh, a piece of artificial live rock is typically 95 plus percent concrete or whatever. There's just no air in there. And there's no space for the bacteria to live. And because these are surface fixing organisms, they have to have space. You know, they have to have a place to exist. They exist next to each other, but they have to be able to, to put their whole fast onto that rock and live out their life. And that's where they're absorbing nutrients and so forth. So if you don't have the space, you don't get the bacterial growth. So it's not only nutrients, it's space to exist. So export is a revolutionary material. Most people don't know this, but when I owned Kent, we owned a company called Circona of America that made a product called Cellpore. Some of the old hobbyists will remember Cellpore. Well, I owned that company. And um, Cellpore had some problems in that we could never get the silica under control. And um, it would leach into the water. And at that time, we were gas firing it. And it had to be fired at a temperature like 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It took a huge kill to do that. And natural gas prices went crazy. And I shut the company down because, you know, we were losing money on every piece we sold. Well, found in the same guys that in Bellport 
are, are a group of material scientists, PhD level, very sharp guys. Their other vocation is they make superconducting powders for nuclear colliders. So they made the uh, powders they used for the wire for the CERN reactor. So these are not uh, high school or college level chemists. They are like off the planet level chemists, okay? And so um, export is not a material that's easily made by anyone else. And there is nobody on on the market. They, there are products that are made that look like export, but they're nowhere near what export is. So export has the largest surface area of any material on earth. And it has the largest surface area that's even theoretically possible for bacteria because bacteria are around a micron in size. So if you get the pores smaller than a micron, which you have to do to increase the surface area, then the bacteria won't fit. So usable surface area basically is at maximum. So an export brick has about the same surface area as two football fields and four end zones. Wow. wow. I mean, it's a lot. So you can take one of these aquariums that has artificial live rock in it, if you have a sump or even put it up under the rock and put a piece of export in there, and you can create perfect atmospheres for bacteria to multiply, thrive, and process waste in that system. And so... Um, I think no one has the range of that sort of material that Brightwell does. So TJ Rogers is uh, commenting uh, that makes sense on the artificial live rock. Just can't seem to find authentic real reef rock. The export bio bricks hold an amazing amount of bacteria. We use them in all of our tanks, exclamation point. Um, so Jack, take, take me through, if you're starting a new tank, and you want to, um, you know, dry rock only, not a lot of dry rock in the, uh, in the tank, it's not that porous. You're going to use the uh, the export media, the bricks. Let's say, do you start dosing the uh, the Microbacter Start XLM as well as the MB7? Is, does that make the most sense in terms of kind of getting that tank going? So with Microbacter Start XLM, you want to dose it alone with nothing else because these are nitrifiers. So that's a totally different kind of bacteria than Clean or Seven, and um, those bacteria are not very strong. It's kind of the junior high team, but that's just the way God created them. You know, you, you, bacteria are what they are. So you need nitrifiers, and so they need to be able to live on ammonia and nitrite. So Microbacter 7 will process some ammonia and nitrite, but it's not good at it. It's slow. And really, if you start a tank with Microbacter 7, it'll take about as long to cycle that as it would if you started it with just pouring fish in there. So, um, but... With Yep. That LP about seven days. Seven days is is usually a normal. They lose you again. Yeah, we lost you again for about ten seconds. I told you that you, you get a lot of people on the internet, and that's going to mess up your connection. And not right. not talking about in your okay. house. I'm talking about your neighborhood. You got to go around the neighborhood and tell people to get off the internet. I'm on a live stream here. Right. Well, again, yeah, we, we don't have the greatest internet. You know, we're an AT&T U-verse. It's supposed to be fiber optic, but it's not. Um, at any rate, so um, export's a great way to provide insurance for your tank. You know, it's, it's, it's not expensive. And you can use it a number of ways. So you have two basic functions that you want to do in a marine aquarium. One is nitrification. That's conversion of ammonia down to nitrite and nitrite. Yep, I'm losing you there. Well, I'm, well, I've lost uh, 
Jack for a second there. I just want to thank uh, Paul Greatbeard and Reef for that super chat. Appreciate the content you always bring. Did we lose it again? Yeah, yeah. You're 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 back though. Okay, so did, did, did okay, so the two functions you want to do is one is nitrification and one is denitrification. Nitrification is conversion of ammonia to nitrite and then nitrate. Denitrification is conversion of nitrate to nitrogen gas in two, and it bubbles out. Okay, so that's how you get nitrates out of the water. You can't do the same thing with phosphates. You have to absorb them. Right. Okay, so export is a really good method to do either one. Now, you want to do nitrification under aerobic conditions. Okay, so you're adding oxygen. So you're going from ammonia, which has no oxygen, to NO2, which has two oxygen molecules, to NO3, which has three. Okay, and then you're converting that to N2 and losing that oxygen. That needs to be done anaerobically. Now, an export brick is perfect for this because the outside will be about one quarter inch of aerobic on the outside and the whole rest of it will be anaerobic in the middle. It does it automatically. Now, when you use the smaller cubes, they don't do that because they're not big enough. So if you use a piece of export, the bigger piece you can put in the tank, the bigger, better off you are. Yep. Um, thanks to Rogue Aquariums there for that super chat. Thanks for having Jack on the stream. So we're getting, we're getting some love here, uh, Jack. Uh, well, thank you very much. So uh, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, Rogue Gaming. What's the shelf life on the MB um, Dry Rock Start Kit? I'm not familiar with that. I bought one um, on Black Friday last year, and the tank setup has been delayed. It is, still, is it still good, or do I need to pick up a new one? It, it should be still good, you know, if you haven't, uh, like, frozen it a couple of times. Freezing is the worst thing for bacteria, okay? So heat causes bacteria to multiply faster. And until you get to 140 or 150, you're not killing the bacteria, okay? So if we get bacteria in a hot UPS truck, it's typically, the bottle may look like a football, but you'll have like 10 times the bacteria that you did when it left the factory. <laughs> so it's probably actually a good thing if you can get by the smell. Um, freezing is the opposite, you know, it starts killing bacteria. So our bacteria is unusual, like Microbacter 7 will probably take two or three freezes. It's number of freezes more than time frozen. Time frozen doesn't mean much. It's the passing from liquid to frozen that kills bacteria. And so Microbacter clean, about one, maybe two freezes. Microbacter start, if you get one, you're in good shape. So uh, I live in Vermont, and uh, the winters here can be pretty cold. Should I, uh, should, should I not be ordering uh, any of the, uh, the clean or the MB7 if it's like 20 below? No, you shouldn't. <laughs> uh, you know, and you have to remember who you're ordering it from, too. So if it's BRS and they're in Minnesota, you need to take that into account. I'd buy my bacteria by October or something, you know, or really? maybe even September. But yeah, and, well, keep it on the shelf. I mean, it's going to have a two-year shelf life at your house. XLM is probably nine months or something. But, uh, you know, if you know you're going to be doing something, get your bacteria ahead of time if you live up north. Now, that's not to say we don't usually get it to you in good shape. And, you know, we're a company that stands behind our products. So if you get it and it's bad, call me. We'll send you another bottle. I tell you, before the show, Jack, I said I always learn something new from these uh, chats. And I've learned a lot in this chat. But uh, the thing that kind of stands out in my mind is don't order bacteria after October if you're in a cold right. area. So that's, I'm going to, I'm going to have to hoard this stuff now. You know, we're, uh, we're right. getting close to that point in time. I'm going to have to start hoarding bacteria. 
Right. <laughs> uh, but we're hoarding everything else. I guess we might as well hoard yeah, bacteria, too. Yeah, I was tired of hoarding uh, toilet paper during uh, COVID. Thank, thank goodness that didn't, uh, you know, blow up in our faces. At least my wife and I, we uh, we, we did a good job. And we, I think we've got a lifetime supply now. Yeah, I was going to say, there are probably a lot of people, their whole garage is full, you know? Um, Peter T., thank you so much for the super chat. Got a beer uh, emoji. Thanks for what you do there, Keith. Um, Rogue Aquariums, I feel one of the good things about the Start XLM is the diversity and the temperature range compared to other bacteria on the market. That's the comment there. That's not a question, a comment. Um, thank you. So if, um, folks, if we don't have any other um, questions about the uh, export, let's... Um, Let's talk about coral nutrition foods here, Jack. You know, I'm an SPS nut, and everybody always wants to achieve great growth and colors, you know, with their um, SPS. And you have several uh, options there at Brightwell. You've got the coral aminos. You've got the reef blizzard, the restore, and the sponge excel. Can you explain the difference between all those products and, and when it makes sense to use one versus the other? Yeah, that's kind of a mouthful, but I'll, I'll yeah, do the best sorry. I can. So. <laughs> Um, I would like to point out that uh, we were the first to develop amino acids for corals at Kent Marine in 19, probably about 1998 or something. I know when Julian came out with Acropower, um, he came out about 2010. He was only 10 years behind me, and people said, oh, he's invented this new product, you know. So, and Julian and I are friends. He's a good guy. But, uh, you know, the, it we, we tend to be on the cutting edge of things. We look at these things way ahead of time. And so our foods are no different. Um, the biggest thing I would tell people about coral nutrition is don't feed the same food every day. I don't care who makes it. It's just like you. You know, if you eat hamburgers three meals a day, seven days a week, you're going to get sick. <laughs> you know, you, it's just not going to work. You know, you, you need that diversity of nutrition. And so you need to be adding... Uh, or using foods that have a, um, a broad profile, or you need to be using foods that um, you rotate. I like rotation, you know, so you'll use certain foods that are made certain ways, and you can read on the bottle and tell what they do. Um, you know, at Brightwell, we have both dried foods and we have our liquid foods, and it depends on what you like to do. Some people like liquid because it's easy. Um, but some of our new dried foods are outstanding, um, you know, we've got the new extreme color food, which I'd love people to try. It's, it's, um, it's, um, really outstanding nutrition and it's got a lot of good ingredients in there that will help the coral color up, you know, for corals to color up, they have to have several uh, functions. One is you have to have the right nutrition and right organics, but you also have the right minerals too. So it's kind of like a bucket of paint. You know, if you buy pink paint or blue paint, it's going to have cobalt in it because cobalt is either pink or blue, depending on the pH. Right. And, um, you know, if you ever were an artist and used artist colors, you'll remember cobalt blue. Well, there's a reason they call it that. And so all of these minor minerals matter. And so if, you know, this is one of my problems that I have with the people that say, don't do water changes. Because if you don't do water changes, you're sure to lose all the minor minerals in the system. Mm -hmm. And unless you're adding them, you're not getting them. Right. You know, then a lot of the salts nowadays, you know, unless you buy expensive salts, you they haven't added these minerals either. They're depending on the cheap salts that they buy to bring them in as tramp minerals. 
So at Brightwell, we do differently. I mean, our salt, I think we have 49 ingredients in our salt. You know, most people have five or six. So there can be a wide range of difference between how salts work and how good they are. And, you know, the cost of a good salt's not that much. I mean, literally, you're talking $10, $15 a year on most aquariums, the size hobby is right. key. You know, if you've got a huge tank, then maybe it's a consideration. But, you know, it's, it's no money compared to the number of animals you can lose or the problems you can have. So a couple of comments um, by Nano Joe Reef Blizzard, exclamation point. Um, Reef Keeper, extreme color works amazing. It seems so fresh compared to other powder foods, almost damp is the comment. Um, looking at some more of the um, comments here. Okay, there's Jeremy uh, Rankin. I currently use Marine Pure Bio Balls and have had an issue with aluminum in my tank according to Triton Labs. I've heard that the Marine Pure is the cause. Do you know if the export bricks release anything? No, they don't. Well, let me let me just qualify that. So uh, a ceramic, by definition, contains silica and aluminum, okay? The Earth's crust is about 8% aluminum, so the floor of the ocean is about 8% aluminum. Um, and it doesn't tend to leach into the water in any great way because the aluminum content of the ocean is pretty low. Um, the same thing with, with our blocks. So um, these guys that I was mentioning a few mi minutes ago that, you know, that made the chemicals for the wire in the CERN reactor um, have come up with ways to, to lock up the aluminum and the silica in the products. Um, is it possible it can get released? Yeah, anything's possible because people use different things. Like, for instance, Red Sea makes a product that has methyl alcohol in it. I think that causes our bricks to get soft. I haven't been able to prove that, but I'm just saying, but, you know, you shouldn't be using methyl alcohol in the tank anyway. Jack's opinion. You know, this is my opinion. It's a hobby. I can have opinions. Um, to our knowledge, we've never had a case where we were, con we were sure that the product did leach those. Now, I will say this, if you're going to do ICP, for God's sakes, get somebody that knows what they're doing with ICP. So go to icpanalysis.com on the internet. Uh, by the way, um, an ICP machine is a cheap man's mass spectrometer in that it costs like 10% of mass spec costs. And they're not very accurate. Uh, most of these guys are selling products, so there's a tendency to put your finger on the scale. People like Triton. People like ATI, they're trying to sell chemicals, you know. So, uh, you know, if, if you, they can show you got something in the water and they've got something to take it out, then they make money. Now, I'm not saying they're doing that. I'm just saying I don't like, um, you know, when that propensity for that is there. So I prefer to use someone else. The ICP analysis guy is a good guy. He's buying a mass spec machine. He's going to have that soon. And it's like a thousand times as accurate as ICP. Okay, so, you know, we're really going to know some things that we haven't known in the past. Um, you know, ICP is all we got right now. I think the procedures are terrible. They're telling you to send 50 milliliters of water. It's not enough to do the test. They can't clean the hose out with it. So you're testing your tank and the last tank before mm -hmm. you and the tank before that, which what, what does that make you know? You know, when you get chemical reactions in the water, I mean, they should be telling you to add nitric acid to the system to preserve it. You know, and of course, ICP can't measure gases. Uh, you can't measure nitrates, oxygen, any of those sorts of things, you know, because they all burn up in the flame and, and uh, are gone. So there, there are problems with it. But, 
you know, I suspect you are seeing um, a problem with aluminum or silica. You know, the um, uh, Marine Pure is is the dregs of the old company I mentioned a while ago, Circona of America. So they bought the patents and so forth that we had when the company went defunct, and then they recreated it. Now, kudos to them. They've made a nice company. They have some decent products. So I'm not saying don't use their products. I'm just saying export is about seventh generation, and that material is first generation. So, you know, what do you want? Uh, Toast707, thank you so much for that uh, super chat. Tell Jack he never hit me up for the uh, the Coppola wine. I promised him. Great talk, Keith. You're killing it. I'm still waiting for that, by the way. <laughs> um, just one other uh, comment uh, regarding the, um, the Coral Nutrition 321 Reaper. What would... Um, what would Jack recommend for his powder food broadcaster spot feed? Well, uh, you know, um, maybe we should spot or target feeding is my favorite method because you get more to the animal with less pollution. The food's going to go into the water. It's going to have to be processed by the bacteria in the filter system. And we know that when we feed, but you know, you, you can't not feed. So you have to do something, um, but I like to target feed. You're going to get some broadcast feeding when you target feed. And so what I do in my tanks is I just target feed, and then whatever goes in the water goes in the water. Uh, thanks to John E. for that super chat. Just to thank you always. Great streams, Keith. Thank you, John E. Appreciate the love there. Really, uh, really, really do. So, Jack, uh, one question I had about the, um, the coral nutrition foods and, and um, you know, those products you, you carry. Do you have to be careful in terms of overdosing? You know, whenever I've uh, dabbled with that sort of thing, you know, using amino acids, I've always kind of run into cyano issues, and, and I'm assuming it's just because I got too aggressive with it at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, obviously food is food, you know. So just like you, if you eat too much food, your your belly tends to expand. <laughs> you know, in your reef tank, you put too much food in there, you dirty the tank up, you get gross of opportunistic organism. Just like we were talking with bacteria, you know, it, it's their job to remove a lot of those organics. If you don't put them in in the first place, you know, that, that is a key to running a, a tank cleanly. And we talk about good husbandry practices at Brightwell. If you read our website and some of our discussions, you know, we'll say things like this is no substitute for good husbandry yeah. and good tank maintenance practices and so forth, you know? And so, um, People need to run filter socks or good filter floss or some method to filter out big particles of things so that uh, they don't rot and break down. And then they need to vacuum their tank. And of course, you know, there's a lot of discussion as having sand on the bottom versus bare bottom and all those things, which is beyond the scope of tonight. But um, well, you could have an opinion about that. You know, if you want to throw uh, an opinion out there, bare bottom versus sand. I mean, I always had sand uh, bottom tanks, but. My new uh, peninsula tanks, the first time I'm going bare bottom, and, uh, you know, so far so good. Right. I think either either that you want's okay. I, I don't like deep sand beds. You know, even if you put animals in there, they're supposed to stir the sand. They don't seem to do a homogeneous job all over the tank. They just get certain spots and stir them up. So um, if I'm using sand, I like a half inch or less. And... Um, yeah, me too. That's pretty much like um, an inch uh, and less for me in terms of a sand bit. So, Jack, I think you mentioned um, before that uh, you, you folks uh, like to keep the uh, the phosphates in the 0.02 to 0.04 part per million range. What about nitrates? Three to five parts per million. Five. So healthy amount, healthy amount of nitrates. And I think that's key on, on keeping your corals colored up and so forth. Uh, people that let it get much lower in that, you know, the, they're – 
they'll see it in their corals, the bigger and so forth. I will say on phosphates, if you can run it higher and get away with it, you know, let's, let's say you're raising frags, which is different than just keeping a mixed reef, right? Um, your professional companies like Worldwide Corals, and you know, they, we have a great relationship with them, and um, they run up to 20 parts per million phosphates in their systems. Right. You know, now I don't recommend that for a reef hobbyist because most people are having trouble, but their corals are eating that stuff so fast and they feed a lot of coral amino along with their foods that they make in house. Um, quickly, just the, uh, some of the other key parameters. What do you uh, recommend in terms of calcium, alkalinity and, and magnesium? What do you uh, like to see the ranges for those? I mean, obviously, well, alkalinity is the most important. Yeah, I like seawater level on most everything. Um, our salt is a seven and a half DKH alkalinity, which I like it a little higher myself. I like it a little over eight, but our SPS guys, a lot of them want to keep it down. They think that their animals react negatively. I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's why the product came out with that alkalinity. And that's why we try to keep it there. Um, I like seawater level. You know, you can, under certain circumstances, try to raise seawater level of calcium, alkalinity and magnesium. And of course, there are there are ways to use magnesium, high levels of magnesium to control bryopsis. But when you have products like Microbacter Clean and Razor, why would you go that way? Because you're putting your corals under a lot of stress to get to 16 to 1800 parts per million magnesium to kill bryopsis. You know, to me, it's a better system to 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 use the bacteria or razor and you know not have to put the tank through that stress. Yeah. So we haven't talked about pH. What about the impact of pH on a reef tank? How, um, how much um, attention should folks pay to pH and, and making sure that it's at a, uh, within a certain range? Well, if I could only measure one thing, it would be pH. So pH is what will kill off a whole tank quicker than you can say jackrabbit. You know? So when we hear of hobbyists that are 7.8, they're living on the edge. And of course, you know, you have to take into account some pH test kits or pH probes, you know, they're off a little bit. So you don't necessarily know that's what the pH is, but um, I like to keep my pH up around 8.283. If you can get 8.4, you're better yeah. off. And, um, you know, there's some ways you can try to keep pH up. One of the things, it's one of the real reasons I love cockwasser still to this yeah, day. Yeah, it? It's it's, it's the old original German method, but it has a natural pH of about 11 and it tends to support pH in the tank and alkalinity a little bit as well. Um, you can raise pH with sodium hydroxide in the tank, but that's very dangerous. You know, sodium hydroxide will kill you and kill your kids, all that. So, um, there are a lot of people have died from it, you know, as a pH of about 14, it'll take the skin off your hand. It's not something that people should use if they're not professionals and don't know what they're doing. Um, but still it can be used and it, you know, it does a good job. One other thing is running outside air to your skimmer, you know, particularly if you're inside, you got a couple of dogs and the kids running around and people, everybody breathing air, you're putting out a lot of carbon dioxide. Of course that creates carbonic acid in the water and lowers the pH. So, um, I would try to get outside air to my skimmer. If I had a pH problem, I had a guy from Texas, kind of funny that called me, he was had a chronically low pH on his tank. And we did everything to try to help this guy to get his pH up. And we couldn't get anything. Well, he forgot to tell me that he had a freshwater aquarium sitting next to it that he was running CO2. There you on. go. <laughs> CO2 in the air. It was going That'll right into the skimmer. <laughs> yeah, I, um, so. I, I, um, I've done a couple of things to, um, to, to raise pH in my tank. You know, I had been dosing two-part for a long time on my 187-gallon system. 
and then uh, I switched over to a um, to a calcium reactor. So I was concerned, you know, about the pH dropping when I started uh, to use the calcium reactor. But I had a uh, an air exchange unit installed, which uh, has really helped. Probably raised the pH by by 0.2 pH points since I've done that. You know, during the winter time, because <clears throat> that's the issue here in Vermont when it's freezing cold out, the windows are shut tight. So there's no air exchange. Exactly. Yep. And um, the other thing I I, I I started doing was running the um, the effluent from the reactor into the uh, into the um, the skimmer pump to help um, mm -hmm. you know the uh, help increase air exchange there. And uh, yeah, I, th those were the uh, the two and Kalkwasser. So I've been using uh, the caulk washer to uh, to keep the pH up, but I've even heard people say that um, if you put enough plants in the room, that that's going to help as well. Mm -hmm. uh, what about the? Um, you have a product, at least uh, one product I know of, uh, possibly two. The uh, the Boost pH product. When when would you be? Um, you know, what would it make sense to use that product? Okay, well, under these conditions, it would make sense. You you have to have a good alkalinity level to use Boost pH. Uh, we've had a couple of people that had really low alkalinity. Boost pH is not going to raise the alkalinity. You need to use something like alkaline 8.3 or reef code B, you know, one of the two parts or something to get the, the alkalinity up. Um, but boost, boost pH, we're not, we're not where we need to be with that product yet. Um, and I may have launched it a little bit too early. But uh, if anybody wants to try Boost pH, please do. And um, if you have a problem with it, get back with me. We'll replace it. Uh, we'll give you the latest thing that we're doing if, if you want to kind of work with us in that. Um, and the, the, the problem with Boost pH is it is a sodium hydroxide product like we just mentioned. And we have a special method that we use to keep it from burning people. And so we're being very, very cautious with it because we don't want to kill somebody's kid or do something like that, you know, burn the, burn the hair off your yeah. arm or something. Um, and, and the product is, I mean, you could pour it over your hand the way it's made now. It's fine, but it's weaker than we'd like it to be. We're trying to raise the strength of it, but it's a, um, it's a difficult game. And, um, I think the product is, is destined to be a really good product over time. It's just, uh, we have to hit that sweet spot where it's not destructive and yet it's, it's functional. And like I said, you know, if people want to buy sodium hydroxide, if they're competent chemists or they have uh, experience handling chemicals, just be careful. Yeah. Sodium hydroxide, potassium hydroxide are both uh, very, very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, for sure, you want to make sure that you're uh, taking all the precautions. Um, That's right. Absolutely. So, folks, uh, Jack, I don't want to keep you, um, you know, too much longer. I know you're uh, you're a busy person and whatnot, and you're um, you're in the midst of a. Well, I'm fine. You're fine. I'm. Um, so, folks, yeah, please take the opportunity to ask some more questions in the uh, in the chat. I see that um, Flippers Reef is um, is asking about whether we've been talking about MB7 as a, um, a bacteria for a maintenance program. Oh, I think we lost you again there, Jack. <laughs> Oh, Jack. Sure, he'll uh, bounce back in a uh, few seconds. You, you back? Yeah, you. You're, uh, I've got you. Are you. Can you hear me, Jack? I'm back, so please. Can Can you hear me? I can. Yeah, I think we got you back. Okay, so please restate the question. Yeah. So the um, uh, the question is uh, again back to MB7, and uh, essentially the question is I, I think we covered this, but. Um, the question is, can, you know, is it best 
to use that product on a you know as a maintenance product on an ongoing basis? And I think the answer was yes. Yeah, I, I do. You know, so what we like to see is we like to see people start the tank with Microbacter Start XLM. I mean, if you'd asked me this 10 years ago, I'd said use MB7 from the start. Of course, when you when your only tool is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. Mm. <laughs> right? So so uh, all we had was MB7 at the time, right? So then Microbacter Clean came out. So, you know, what we're telling people now is different than what we used to tell them. And, of course, everything has moved along. Electronics is better. You know, you know technology moves ahead. So we'd like to start the tank out with Microbacter Start XLM. Once it's cycled, then you can either go over to Microbacter Clean or Microbacter 7. We prefer Microbacter Clean to take you through the ugly stage. And the restarter kit that was mentioned a while ago um, uses Microbacter Clean to do that. So you start with XLM and then you move over to Clean. Just uh, keeping on top of the chat here. So, okay. um, Jack, what have we not talked about in terms of some of the, um, you know, the the, um, the the more impactful products that you guys have that um, that you wanted to um, you know share with us? I know I know folks are uh, asking a lot of questions about the bacteria and the uh, and the razor product, and we talked about the uh, the coral uh, supplementation products, but. Um, what what else? You mentioned uh, cell a while ago, and we didn't really cover that. So sponge cell is a silica solution. Sponges need silicates, and of course, when you add silicates to marine aquarium, you have to realize that there is the possibility that you could cause diatom blooms, because diatoms, if you look at them under a microscope, they look like little shards of glass. You know, because they're basically made of silica. I don't know how you have something alive that's a crystal, but you know, at any rate, there are probably a lot of things I don't understand. Um, so, sponging cells are a really good product if you have sponges, but you need to have more than one little sponge in there, you know, to use it because you can get overgrowth of diatoms if you don't. So, right, we got a few more questions popping in here. Um, Take a boy question: Already using Cheeto, Cato uh, Grow, Neofos, Neonitrate, and Ferion to grow macroalgae. Any others I should consider for my macroalgae tanks? I think he's got the full the full crew there. Got the full suite of products. Uh, could be any, you know. And if he's having a problem, like I said, you know, we've got our web form. They're welcome to come in on that, or they're welcome to call the factory, and we'll. Um, We'll get back to them and talk to them. I talk to hobbyists myself all day long, you know. I mean, I'm doing this because I love it. You know, when I sold Kent Marine, I made good money, and I probably could have retired at that point, and I did for a few years, but um, I was missing something. This is my love. It's my passion. And so, you know, give us a call. So uh, another question by Flippers Reef about uh, the bacteria. MB7 and clean as a maintenance program, question mark, together? No, I, w I wouldn't necessarily use them together. I mean, you can do that. I would alternate them on, say, different days or something if I was going to use them together. Um, but either one by itself. Both of them are pretty wide-range group of bacteria. You know, and if you're having a particular problem, that's when you need to switch between one to the other. Nano Just I'm sorry. Uh, Nano Joe is asking, what makes Neo Marine different from other top competitor salts? Yeah, we haven't really talked about that. Well, you know, first of all, I will say this. So we're a very truthful company. Um, Bulk Resupply did testing of salts last year. You can find all those on YouTube. And um, 
I would say Tropic Marin probably won the test, but Brightwell was a solid second with Neil Marine. And then the others, the Red Seas and the others were down much lower. Um, but, you know, we make an anhydrous salt, so there's no water in it. Um, that makes it have certain characteristics. Sometimes people like it and sometimes they don't. Um, but, you know, it's a much more pure salt than other salts on the market. Most of the salts are really pretty low grade. You know, some of the brands are made from old seawater. There's no telling what's in it. Been laying on the desert for a few years before they scoop it up and mix it up with bird feathers and put it in a sack, you know. <laughs> so, um, you know, our salt is really made to high quality standards. And, um, um, you know, it has natural seawater level of all the chemicals in it. That's what we shoot for. Alkalinity is a little higher than seawater. Seawater is about to seven and a half. And you need that for a buffer zone because if you don't have it, you'll crash your pH. So we wouldn't want to do that. But And there are ways, you know, sea salts typically have less silica than the ocean. The ocean has about five parts per million silica. Sea salts, we strive for zero just because you don't want to have to clean the glass every day. Yeah, uh, Reef Keeper's comment is, I love neomarine. You just have to plan for the longer mixing time. Um, so produ producer Reef has a um, question for you. I had to do a full clean of my tank. Rocks are in a few bins. Should I use MB7 or Start XLM to redo the tank? Well, I would use Microbacter Start to start it. If, if there are no live bacteria in the system now, that's the way to go. You know, and then switch over either to 7 or clean after that two, three-week period is. Once you reach zero ammonia, zero nitrite, and some level of nitrate, two, three, four, 10 parts per million, whatever it is, you need to have nitrate. You need to verify all these with test kits too. Don't, don't guess at it. Right. Um, Reef Keeper's got a question. I've noticed with the MB Clean, the dose is quite large compared to MB7. Now that I'm running a big tank, those bottles go quick. Is there any reason it can't be more concentrated? Um, well, you know, I mean, if, if you're dosing it on a regular basis, you could lower the amount that you're using or buy a bigger bottle. I mean, the, 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 the level of clean, we wouldn't want to change because it would change all the dosing and people are used to that level. It is a quite concentrated product. In fact, we have problems with clean when we send it to places like Saudi Arabia because the bottle wants to blow up. Um, just looking at some other chat here. Blow up, I mean, the bottle walls want to expand so it looks like a football, and that's because the bacteria are multiplying so fast. So, yeah, I don't think we'd want to make it any stronger, you know, because we might get into problems where we're exploding the bottle at that point. Um, TFP's got a question, but I think we could answer, I think we already answered this question. If dosing all these bacteria and trace element products, would you recommend water changes then? I think the answer is yes, right? Well, I recommend water changes anyway, and anybody yeah, that knows recommends water changes you know the people that don't recommend water changes are people that sell ipcp tests you know so you know it's it, ulterior motives in my opinion um flippers reef comment uh been using mb7 and coral aminos for a while now coral looks really good um tj rogers neomarine is a great salt um just looking for any other questions out there okay um dante Dizon, keith please ask about what type of bacteria can keep dosing on a regular basis to keep the bacteria on hand especially with a uv light but i think it's pretty much what we've been talking about right jack in terms of the uh mb7 or the clean just depending you just yeah, got to turn off your uv for a few hours 
pollinated. I mean, you know, the more species of bacteria that are natural to the marine environment. By both, the, by the way, both MB7 and um, Microbacter Clean and even Microbacter Stark are all natural bacteria that are in the ocean that are native to that environment. So there are no oddball bacteria or, you know, bacteria that are genetically modified or some other such thing. You know, these are natural bacteria that you would find in a marine environment. Hey, I had a, a question for you myself in terms of the, um, the coral supplement, uh, you know, the food and what have you. At, at what uh, age of a tank should you start using those um, products? You know, if you're starting a tank out, let's say an SPS tank, and you got a whole bunch of frags, so that it's not a much of a, um, you know, calcium alkalinity demand and, and you got coral frags, should you hold off on, on using the, um, you know, amino acids and other uh, coral food supplements since the, the age of the tank is young and you could potentially have issues with problematic algae if you do use too much of that uh, coral food? Or is the food more of um, something that is, is best with a more mature tank? Well, no, I mean, I, I start off using foods myself, but the lighter foods, see, coral amino is a very light food, so is Restore. And they are basically liquid foods. There's no particulate to them. And that's one of the reasons that they're very good for fragged, recently fragged corals or corals that have been wounded or damaged. Because when an animal's sick, it has a hard time eating. You know, people, when they're sick, they stop eating. Um, fish, when they're sick, they stop eating. And so um, on a brand new system like that, I think coral amino and restore would be the two I would start with. And then I would, it's kind of like baby food, you know, and then you kind of graduate up to um, stronger foods. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, just a couple of other um, questions here. We've already answered this one, Hammy's Reef, in terms of what level of nutrients he recommends to keep an SPS heavy tank. Pretty much um, 0.02 to 0.04 parts per million in terms of phosphates. And I think you said two and a half to five in terms of parts per million. Or three to five, five, but it's not magic. For no, nitrates, yeah. yep. Um, insane reefer, what temperature do you recommend for mixing neomarine? Well, room temperature is what you want. You don't want cold water. The biggest problem that we have people mixing neomarine because it's an anhydrous salt and Tropic Marin's an anhydrous salt too. So it has the same problem. But if you put too much salt and not enough water, so let's say you measure out the salt for a 50 gallon garbage can and dump it in and start adding water, you're going to get precipitation and you're going to have problems with low levels of calcium and alkalinity. We see it all the time. So you need to put the water in first. You need to put basically 100% of the water and then start slowly mixing the salt into it, which is the way you should mix any salt. But our, our salt, because it's anhydrous, it's like a virgin. It's never seen water. You know, where um, other salts are using calcium um, chloride dihydrate, which is, has two water molecules attached. They're using magnesium sulfate, magnesium chloride. They have either six or seven water molecules attached. When you look at these chemicals, they don't look like white powder. They look like crystals because there's so much water in there. You can see through them. So speaking of the salt, you know, you've, you've got, um, you've got trace elements in the salt, right? When, when does it yes. make sense to use products like replenish and coral color? you know, um, on top of the neo, um, you know, you know, the salt. Well, depending on how much water change you're doing, you know, 20% or whatever, um, that's not really going to affect you. You can continue to use those products, but, um, 
you know, you may want to wait a little bit depending. You know, it just depends on how much water you're changing. I wouldn't start off with them on a brand new tank when you first set it right. up. You don't need to add anything until carb, you know, carbon takes out trace minerals. Um, the, the fish and, and uh, corals use them up. Um, you know, any other kind of filtration, resin or whatever you have may take them out. To some extent, UV will take some of them out because it will convert the form to an insoluble form and they'll fall out as powder on the bottom of the tank and become part of the detritus. Protein skimming sometimes takes some of them out. So everything is there trying to remove this stuff. And, um, you know, you need to add it back. Are you an advocate of using activated carbon? I you am. Are, okay. But I don't use it all the time. I use it differently than most people. I like to use it and then take it out because if you leave it all the time, you'll, you'll pull out too many trace minerals. Um, that's not to say you can't run it all the time, but I prefer to use it on a, a sporadic basis. When the water starts turning yellow, I like to take a piece of white typing paper and stand it up by my aquarium right at the end. And you can just look at the water versus the white typing paper. And if the water is yellower than the paper, you need to use some carbon. What about using UV on a continual basis? Are you an advocate of using UV 24-7? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I guess that's kind of depending on what you're trying to do. If you have parasites in the water, you know, then you probably ought to do that. That To me, that's the only reason to use a UV in a marine tank is to kill echinodinium, which can wipe out your fish. Yeah. And they're tough to treat any other way. I mean, there are all sorts of natural... Um, uh, anti-parasitic products that don't work. I've not seen one that works. I mean, we had one at Kent that worked pretty well called RXP. We can't make it anymore. We can't get the ingredients now. So, um, you know, that's something we'd like to do. It, it was never as good as copper, but then if you put copper in your reef, you're going to kill off all your inverts. So, um, you know, it's a goal of mine to try to have a parasitic product. Um, but we've not been able to do it so far. You know what? I um, I had never used uh, UV. I rarely used UV. I, you know, I had some bacterial blooms on um, on my tank, and I, and I popped like a cheap UV sterilizer on that tank, and it uh, cleared up that bacteria bloom really, really quickly. Then I had a um, recently I had an outbreak of uh, of dinos on my new tank, and UV just snuffed those dinos right out. And I I have not stopped using uv on that tank and i'm almost like afraid to take it off you know because of the uh, the dinoflagellates and i've even put uv in, and use it 24 7 on my uh, my established system so you know you know knock on wood so far so good i haven't seen any um detrimental effects so i you know hopefully it's just it's just a um a good way to you know keep fish parasites down and and potentially keep uh, dinos uh um at bay if you have those free floating types of uh, dianols that UV can kill. Yep. I don't know. So they're not making an LED UV yet, are they? Not that I'm aware of, but I might There's be wrong. Yeah, no, I've been shocked more than a few times with uh, LED, uh, you know, the old fluorescence back in the old days, the gaskets given up because UV will deteriorate the gaskets and then it starts leaking water. And of course, you, you, you got a ballast on that thing, just something like 180 volts, which will wake you up. Yeah, I would say so. Um, question from three, two, one reaper, what is Purit and when would uh, Jack recommend using it? So Purit is a really excellent carbon and it also contains resins. So it's something like Kimi Pure, if you're familiar with that, 
It's just the resins that we use are really high quality and we use a macroporous resin that emulates carbon in a lot of ways, but it targets different size organic chemicals. So you do a much better job of clearing the water with Purit than you do with uh, regular carbon by itself. So Jack, what, uh, can you talk to us about any new products in the pipeline? Anything that, um, you know, folks might not um, be completely aware about in terms of things that Brightwell is rolling out? No, we really don't have anything right now that we're working on. Um, there's been a lot of things going on with, with uh, you know, the sicknesses and different things that have gone on. Running a company has been challenging, to say the least. Um, but we are looking at some things. Um, as you know, we, we make freshwater products. We make products for aquaculture, which is kind of interesting sometimes, food fish. We make a product that you haul fish with to keep them from fending themselves and hurting themselves um, during the trip. Um, so we're always looking at innovating things. We typically come out with, you know, 15 or 20 products a year. Um, but this last year with COVID, it's been slowed down a little bit, but we have a lot of products that still need to be fleshed out and people need to find out about them. By the way, I did want to plug one thing. If you're interested in looking at bacteria, there's a lot of good information on our website, particularly on the Microbacter Start XLM page. And if you're going to be starting a tank, I really recommend that you read, read that page fully because it'll tell you a lot of the pitfalls that you're going to run into. Save you some trouble. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, question from Insane Reefer. Is there a calculator for the Brightwell iodine? No, but I, if I remember correctly, there is a uh, easy calculations on the side, you know, where it's pretty easy to calculate what you need to do. Okay. Um, I will say from an iodine standpoint, you know, there's not enough iodine used in most tanks and iodine doesn't stay all that long. So it's very unlikely that you're going to overdose it if you use it at the rate we tell you to. Yeah, whenever I do an ICP test, I get zero in my iodine, even if I'm dosing it. And it's, um, I guess it's just in very, very low levels. Well, if it's iodine itself, it evaporates. It's a gas, like chlorine is, <clears throat> okay? But uh, most of it's iodates in seawater, and it depends on the pH. Of course, you're shipping that off somewhere, and you've got that little bitty sample, and so you get reactions that go on in the tube, and, you know, it's... It's not the same as standing there and running a test, you know. Right. All right, Jack. Well, listen, I think um, this was incredible amount of information. I, uh, I definitely learned a lot. Would love to have you um, back on. Any, um, any last words before we wrap it up for the night? Um, you know, I've really enjoyed this time with you and with the guys. I appreciate everybody coming and, and uh, listening to our conversation and entering in, asking questions and so forth. It's been a lot of fun. Um, this is why I'm in the hobby. You know, it's not just the keeping fish and that beautiful portion of the reef, but it's talking about it and, you know, making good friends in the hobby. And, you know, hopefully we'll be going to trade shows again soon. There are a few of them going on now, you know, but uh, hopefully that will get in the full swing again soon. So thank you very much. And thank you, Keith, for having me on, giving me this opportunity and hopefully you can do it again. Yeah, sometime. no, for sure. And perhaps um, if we re, uh, I guess I think they're planning on having a uh, magnet in Milwaukee and, and maybe um, maybe we'll run into each other there if you're going to be ahead uh, of that show. Yeah, possibility. I, think I might try to make that. I guess uh, it's a it's a crazy world we live in. So who knows what it's going to be like uh, in a year from now, I guess. But um, thanks, folks, for uh, for tuning in. Really appreciate the support, the super chat, and all the great comments. And if you need to get a hold of uh, Jack, I think there's a uh, contact information on the Brightwell Aquatics website. 
So please reach out to them and uh, they'll take care of you in terms of all your questions. So that'll do it for this show. Again, just want to really thank Jack so much for taking the time. I know he's a very, very busy man and, and um, really appreciate him being here. My next live stream is scheduled for Thursday, August 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Kevin Berta from Top Shelf Aquatics. So that should be another great show. Until then, be safe out there.